Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Joe Galati podcast, broadcasting high above the Texas Medical Center in Houston, purveyor of all things related to the liver, health and wellness, nutrition, food and cooking, and all around doctor banter and witty repartee with our experts that visit us. Our website is drjoegalati.com. If you'd like to send me a note, subscribe to our newsletter, or even see me as a patient. If you want to call and be part of the program, dial us at 888-438-9431. And now, on with the podcast. Raising your health IQ one listener at a time. Dr. Joe Galati, this is your health first. Our good friend Ray Eastless, percussionist with Chicago, picking out the tunes tonight. He's in L.A. somewhere tonight. I think he's tuning in. If not, we'll have to fill him in on how well his music picks have done tonight. Don't forget, go to drjoegalati.com. Sign up for our newsletter every Friday. Get it in your inbox, drjoegalati.com. All righty. Lots to talk about tonight. So as I had said earlier, in the studio tonight is Dr. Randeep Suneja. He and I trained together as interns and residents in New York City 30-plus years ago. And now here we are. He has been in Houston longer than I have by about a year or two. Randeep, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming in tonight. Thank you, Joe. So one of the things we wanted to talk about, and by the way, HoustonCardiology.com is his website. He is uh, the founder and president. CEO, head guy, Cardiology Center of Houston. He also is the chairman of cardiology at Houston Methodist West, just down the road in Katy. All right, so medical myths. We're going to talk about cardiology tonight. What are some of the misunderstandings? But first, let me, let me ask, what are patients saying? They come to see you and, and they, they have all these ideas in their head. What uh, regarding heart disease or their cardiovascular problems, what are they actually saying to you? What are their, what's their base of information? So, Joe, these days, you know, um, we see patients from a huge spectrum from 18-year-old to 102-year-old patient in right. our practice. And the patients that we are seeing lately, um, more so because of the increased stress from COVID, we are seeing patients with symptoms of hypertension, palpitations, and Unfortunately, post-COVID, we are seeing a lot of patients with shortness of breath and palpitations and heart issues. And and you know that uh, COVID can, in fact, uh, affect the heart in yes. a fair number of percentage of patients. So we are making sure that their heart has not been affected or damaged. And uh, we see a lot of patients who come and ask us, Dr. Saneja, do I need an aspirin? Do I have heart disease? And those are the questions that we answer by doing the appropriate diagnostic testing. Where where do you think the typical 
cardiology patient is getting their information from? Is it around the water cooler at work when we used to go to work? Uh, or is it online? Are there journals, newspapers, radio? Where are they getting this information from? Unfortunately, you know, patients Google and then they are bringing out with symptoms which may not relate to them at all and right. they are scared. And that's unfortunate. So they really need uh, appropriate medical advice because you Google and you say, I got chest pain, I got shortness of breath. And next thing is, it will give you a differential diagnosis of some horrendous diseases and they come right. and they're anxious. So, you know, we have to really get a medical professional answer their questions. You know, what I, what I think is is sort of part of that answer, part of the question is they they have this misunderstanding and they are so frightened that they don't even come to see you. You know, they don't go to see anybody. They're afraid of what they're going to be told. They psych themselves out before they even get there. You know, you're right. I recently had a patient who's a young patient, around 25, who was asked to be seen by a cardiologist and he was given my name a year ago. Right. Literally a year ago and he had been told that he was having some issues with blood pressure and cholesterol and he was so anxious was having some palpitations that he kept to himself for one year right and after he came and he i talked to him and explained what things were and how things were he says doc i am so glad i came today but i wish i would have come a year ago because i have been bottled up and so anxious for full one year right yeah, I mean, we we see new patients and, and you scan the electronic record that we have and you see that records, similar to that, records were sent six months, a year ago. And and you talk to them for the first time and you say, you know, I, I realize that you your records were sent here a year ago. Why are you here now? And it's the same thing. I was afraid. I didn't want to get bad news from you. And I, I say, look, I'm going to cut to the chase. There's nothing deadly here wrong with you. Yes, there's a problem, and we're going to work it up. But take a deep breath. You're not going to die from this. And I'm sure you see the same thing. And that is the key to what we do here and what you do in your office, education and enlightenment and give them a sense of security. Absolutely. No, you have to reassure the patients. If there's a problem, you identify it and you fix it. So, you know, but majority of our patients, I would say that when they are asked us, because in our practice, we have a majority of our referrals of our patients come from our current patients. Right. And when they are sent by their friend or employee, they, they invariably they come into us fairly soon. And once we've seen them and we get on the right path, they, uh, and the right diagnosis has been made, whether it's preventive care or treatment options and everything, they obviously feel a whole lot better. Yeah. Now, one of the myths that we're going to address is that wine is good for your heart. Now, as a liver specialist, people take this to the extreme. And they're drinking a bottle of wine every night, and they say, Doc, it's good for my heart. What are you excited about? So what is the truth in wine for your heart? Uh, wine, you know, um, wine, red wine, especially the red wine, in amounts which are considered, you know, for women no more than one right. serving per day, which is five ounces of wine. And for men, up to two servings a day, which will be two of those five ounces a day. Wine has the antioxidants in the form of resveratrol. Mm -hmm. And red wine has 
some of the highest components. And of all the red wines, Pinot Noir actually has the highest component of resveratrol. Okay. And resveratrol has several beneficial effects. It has uh, anti-inflammatory properties, antioxidant properties. It helps in improving endothelial dysfunction. So it does have a beneficial effect as long as you are following the limits. But American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology have clearly stated that individuals who do not drink, they should not start drinking just based because, you know, it's very easy as you being a liver yeah. specialist, you see that addiction can happen before you know it because start once you start drinking, the body tolerance increases and you start drinking one and then two and then leads on to increased amount of consumption and later on to alcoholism. So as long as you're following those limits, red wine does have beneficial effects in uh, taken in moderation. Right. And keep in mind that certainly too much wine leads to liver disease, but also heart issues, arrhythmias, uh, high blood pressure in excess. Excess at least to cardiomyopathy and weakness of the heart muscle, which is very damaging. Right. Exactly. All right. <clears throat> Got a frog in my throat. All right, Dr. Joe Galati here with Dr. Sunesia talking about cardiac myths. We're playing music tonight courtesy of Ray Eastlist, percussionist with Chicago. Go to drjoegalati.com, sign up for a newsletter. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back. We're back, Dr. Joe Galati, not only bringing you the best in health and wellness, we are playing good music tonight. Our guest DJ, this is something new we're doing. Ray Eastless. The world-renowned percussionist with the band Chicago is calling these... He's calling the shots tonight. And I'd have to say, there's some pretty darn good tunes tonight. Josh is behind the board, making it all work. All righty. Don't forget, go to drjoegalati.com. Sign up for our newsletter. You sign up for the newsletter every Friday in your inbox. You'll get it. You'll get the newsletter plus a insider's guide to dietary fiber. Who would have thought fiber was that ex that exciting? But it is. In the studio, looking right across from me is Dr. Randeep Sunesia a cardiologist, and tonight we are clearing up myths, misunderstandings. So we ended up with wine. Wine seems to be okay, but we don't want you to go out and start drinking if you're not inclined to drink. What about coffee? There is always confusion around coffee. It's good. It's bad. What do you say with regard to the heart? 
Well, um, coffee, you know, the main component of coffee, as you know, is caffeine. And yeah. we, we all need a little caffeine kick. As I say, I need my cup of coffee, uh, tea. I drink tea and uh -huh. my wife makes the best tea ever. And I have to have a cup of tea. And, you know, coffee and tea both have caffeine in it. But coffee, in addition, also has about almost a thousand compounds. And they are called polyphenols. So polyphenols right. have an antioxidant properties. And if you are drinking a cup or two a day, it is okay. However, one has to realize that when you start drinking more than that, the excessive caffeine plays a role in increasing the heart rate, increasing the blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And some patients are extremely sensitive to caffeine. And we see so many patients who say, you know, I start developing some irregular heartbeats or palpitations or increased heart rate. So if I, they come to us and we they are experiencing these symptoms, I said, please respect your body. If mm -hmm. you believe that it's not agreeing with you, then you really have to stop it. And also excessive caffeine also increases gastroesophageal reflux. Right. So I'm sure you see some of those. Which patients. can mimic chest pain. And can mimic <laughs> chest pain. Yeah. So a cup of two is okay. And, you know, tea has a little lesser caffeine than coffee. And then we have the green tea, which is also has even lesser, about maybe 25 to 50 milligrams of caffeine. Average cup of tea has probably around 50 to 75. And coffee anywhere from 100 to even 400 if you're getting these espresso shots, which mm -hmm. are extremely concentrated, then they will may have up to two to 300 milligrams of caffeine. Yeah. But green tea also has a component called epigalcocathexetin, which is another antioxidant and which is also has very beneficial effects. So in summary, a cup of two of tea or coffee a day is perfectly okay. Beyond that, the answer is no. Okay. So, again, I'm going to say coffee in the plus column, beneficial. Yes. In, in, you know, not, not going too overboard. Now, a baby aspirin. It seems as if people are walking around taking a baby aspirin. I will see them and say, Bob, why are you taking a baby aspirin? I thought it was good for me. What do you say? Well, just taking an aspirin is... You know, as a medicine, it's, it's tansalic acid and it has some adverse effects. So truly speaking, one should not be taking it if you do not need it because aspirin even at 81 milligrams per day can increase your risk of bleeding. But if you have coronary artery disease, you have any blockages, if you have history of stent, if you have history of bypass surgery, in those situations, a 81 milligram of aspirin can subsequently reduce the risk of subsequent heart attack mm -hmm. and death. So it's extremely beneficial if you have documented coronary artery disease. How how about if you 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 have not ever been told you've got narrowing and plaque and cholesterol in your arteries, but you have diabetes, which is a risk factor for these things? Should you be on aspirin, or would you recommend an aspirin? Uh, that and, and if you have to be totally clear which is what we want to do, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, the you know the use of aspirin is in a documented CAD. When you know when patients come to us and they don't know whether they have heart disease or not, then we are able to make a diagnosis by ordering a simple test called heart scan right. or coronary artery calcium score. 
And if you have anything above zero, and the classification can go anywhere from zero to thousands, the score can go up. And if you have zero calcium score, meaning you have zero heart plaques, in that situation, you absolutely do not need aspirin. However, if you have just diabetes and if you never had a calcium score done and you don't know your risk for heart disease, there was a recent trial, in fact, completed in 2018, which did show that diabetic patients, because diabetes is actually equivalent for heart disease, that trial did show that diabetic patients, when taken a baby aspirin, uh-huh. reduces risk for subsequent heart attack or death. Right. So it was definitely beneficial in a diabetic population. Right. But the key thing here is not to take it just because you see it on the shelf at the pharmacy. Definitely not. And that everybody's taking it, so I should take it. No, definitely not. And I think best is, is it's so simple. Please ask your physician or your cardiologist, go for a heart scan. If you have a low to intermediate risk, get a heart scan done or calcium score, and you'll know whether you really need an aspirin or not. If your score is zero, you have zero heart, heart plaques in the arteries of the heart. If your score is between 1 to 10, that means you have minimal buildup of heart plaques. And that also, you may not require aspirin. Right. But if you have 11 to 100, which is mild buildup of heart plaque, 101 to 400 moderate, mild to moderate, 400 severe, and over 1,000 severe, very severe. So if you have anything above 11 calcium score, our recommendation is please do take a baby aspirin, 81 milligram once daily. Although, you know, there's also been some studies where uh, primary prevention, even without knowing right. heart disease, there was a physician health study done in 1988. There was a, about a 12 to 18% benefit on that in physicians. However, the best thing is to do it under the guidance of a physician. Please do not take a baby aspirin alone just because if you don't have a documented heart disease, right. it can increase risk for GI bleeding. Yes, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people over the years have said if aspirin was discovered today and went through the FDA, it would probably be a prescription drug because of the, the risk of bleeding, the risk of stroke, you know, bleeding into your brain. And the amount of people, especially older adults, that have serious life-threatening gastrointestinal bleeding is not anything to ignore. And so... Again, as as you said, which I think is a very, very key point, if you have no known coronary artery disease, you shouldn't be taking it. If you have risk factors, you need to get evaluated and then, if appropriate, get on the aspirin. But the idea of willy-nilly 81 milligrams of aspirin for the heck of it, probably not a good idea. But if you do have coronary artery disease and you have history of stroke, it is so important to take it because it prevents future events. Perfect. All right. We're going to take a break. More music, courtesy of Ray Eastless, percussionist with Chicago. Thank you, Ray. I know you're listening in L.A. I do appreciate you. Final segment coming up. Don't forget, go to drjogalati.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Find out about everything we do, all of our social media, our practice, Liver Specialists of Texas, if you've got any liver or digestive issues. And we'll be right back. Stay tuned.
Welcome back, everybody. Dr. Joe Galati. Thanks very much for joining us on this Sunday evening. After the frost and disruption, it's been absolutely a horrible week for so many people. And I could only hope that we are coming out of it tomorrow. The water is back safe. Something we take for granted, the tap water and water everywhere that we use. And I want to thank our friend Ray Eastless for picking the music. And of course, there is a song from Chicago winding it up tonight. Thank you, Ray. And in the studio, Dr. Randeep Sinesia. He is part of the Leadership Executive Council at the Methodist DeBakey Heart Center. His practice, Cardiology Center of Houston, is a very, I would say, senior, well-established practice here in town. HoustonCardiology.com is the website, and he's the chairman of cardiology at Houston Methodist West. So we have a leader in cardiology here tonight going through the myths. So again, Randeep, thanks very much for coming in tonight. So the the last couple of things for tonight sort of wrapped up in one, but one of the myths is that statins to control cholesterol are dangerous and not safe. And even as a non-cardiologist patients, because of the, the liver dangers, and I'll say, look, I see thousands of patients a year. I never see anybody with any liver, serious liver-related statin issues. And I, what I tell them is there's a greater chance you're going to have a heart attack or cardiovascular event than a complication with their liver. So how do you address that, the myth that statins are dangerous? You know, statins are a hallmark gold standard treatment for management of hyperlipidemia in patients with known coronary artery disease. You know, it's they are so critically important. And people have to understand that it is not just the lowering of the LDL cholesterol. You know, statins, of all of them, they are, we call them the HMG coenzyme ACE reductase inhibitors. They go and inhibit this enzyme and subsequently reduce the synthesis of cholesterol in the liver. By doing so, they reduce the LDL, and LDL has, is one of the most important risk factors for heart disease because right. that plays a role. Those are, that's a bad cholesterol. Bad cholesterol that goes and deposits in your walls of your arteries and begins the, begins the process of atherosclerosis. But not only that, they have anti-inflammatory properties, they have antioxidant properties, and then we have called the plaque stabilization effect, and all in all putting together the pleiotrophic effects of cholesterol-lowering drugs, the statins. So cholesterol statins, we have we have the research goes on for the last several decades. It has been shown they reduce the risk of events, they reduce risk for heart attacks, they reduce risk for death. And there have been data, uh, Steve Nissen from Cleveland Clinic had done IVIS-based studies that statins, when the LDL is lowered below 70, and now, in fact, with patients with heart disease, we are aiming to reduce the LDL down even to 50 range. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It can even regress atherosclerosis. 
So, so reverse disease. Yes. That's, that's amazing. So reduce events and reverse disease and definitely reduce events. And also, uh, we had the largest statin study, which was done in 2008, was a Jupiter trial, mm-hmm. which was done in normal patients without any history of heart disease with LDL of 108 in patients who had uh, LDL of 108, average LDL, and C-reactive protein, which was above 3. And the study, which was halted midway, because the beneficial effects statins in those folks revealed that there was significant reduction in heart attack and death. So, to all in all, to tell you that statins are such an important part of management in the field of cardiology, that we emphasize that it is critically important for patients to take the statins. Now, in the same breath, if anybody watches TV in the evening, there are these commercials for CoQ10. If you're on a statin, you need to take CoQ10. True or false? CoQ10, um, it has been, there have been meta-analysis of several trials on CoQ10 and the benefits of CoQ10, you know, what CoQ10 is. CoQ10 is a fat-soluble molecule which plays a very important role in the mitochondrial electron transfer process in the respiratory change and helps in the production of ATP. So it plays a very critical role and where your statins go and inhibit the HMG coenzyme ACE reductase inhibitor, they inhibit the synthesis of cholesterol, they also inhibit the synthesis of CoQ10. So endogenous CoQ10 synthesis <coughs> is reduced when you take statins. By exogenously supplementing it, we can thereby overcome that deficiency. And the safety profile of CoQ10 is so low that when the deficiency of CoQ10 does occur, it may play a role in the myalgias and myopathy. And it has actually been used in some of these uh, neurologic disorders also. Right, right. So it has beneficial effects. Because safety of profile is so wonderful and so low, that it's so wonderful that there is no harm in taking CoQ10. So in our patient population, that we any patients taking statins, we recommend to take CoQ10 minimum 200 milligrams a day because it certainly may reduce your risk of myalgias and myopathy. Got it. Now, the third part of this whole cholesterol story is fish oil. Again, not so much as I take a baby aspirin a day, but people are taking fish oil like candy. Now, again, probably a safe profile, but is it beneficial? Fish oil in documented cornea disease, we in fact had the one of the largest trials, which was the Reduce It trial, which was released in fact just exactly a year ago in January of 2020, that revealed and patients taking prescription strength fish oil, which is uh, Vasipa, four grams per day, two grams, but it was pure eicosanapentaenoic acid taken four grams a day, reduce risk for heart attack and death in patients with known coronary artery disease when their triglycerides were between 150 to 499. You know, that mildly elevated triglycerides, majority of the population has metabolic syndrome, as you right. know, their triglycerides are elevated. And if you have documented coronary artery disease, it can absolutely reduce your risk of events. However, and the fish oil omega-3 fatty acids, they also have antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties, and they also help in the endothelial dysfunction. So even normal patients, if they want to take it, there are really no 
contraindications that is going to potentially hurt them. The only thing is that sometimes when you take these supplements, it can increase your risk for a reflux also. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you have to kind of be wary of that. But in the sense that taking if documented cornea disease, if your triglycerides are elevated, we certainly recommend that you try to take the prescription strength fish oil. And if you don't, and if you want to take over the counter, those are also can be beneficial, potentially will not hurt you. Right. So I, I think the take home here in the last minute or so, antioxidants, you mentioned antioxidant about a hundred times tonight. And that is the key to a lot of disease, especially in Heart disease, it's the oxidative stress that the body has and that antioxidants are protective and reverse a lot of the disease. The other thing is, with regard to aspirin, with regard to the statins and CoQ10, fish oil, if you have documented disease, that is where these are most beneficial. And I would say I would refrain, and I'll give you the last 10 seconds, refrain from just taking these medicines for the sake of taking them. Totally, yeah. These should be taken only under the guidance of a physician. So get yourself diagnosed correctly. Go to a physician. Go to a cardiologist. Get the right diagnosis. And if you have any of these conditions, the cornea disease, hypertension, and hyperlipidemia, then get appropriate treatment with the right medications. Absolutely. All right. Randeep, you made it. Thank you. Cardiology Center of Houston. They're at HoustonCardiology.com. Randeep, thanks for clearing up some of the myths. We'll see you again soon. For everybody else, have a great week. I hope that you were able to get through this week. It's been a lot of hardship for a lot of people in our listening audience, but we will get through this and most importantly, continue to take care of yourselves. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Don't forget, drjoegalati.com. We'll see you next Sunday night. Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out drjoegalati.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Ciao.